How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 12 of Fear Frequency. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and with me today is my co-host, George Frazard. What's up, dude? Oh, man. Worked a 12-hour day. Got my coffee. Got my Poe Dameron helmet on. I'm ready for this podcast. So we're going to get right into the news here. It's it's kind of a slow week, guys, because we're in the week of Christmas, which I kind of just realized. Like, next Monday's Christmas, but this is the week leading up to it. So, you know, people are already taking time off. The horror masters are no longer, they're taking a break. So we, we actually got some decent news and some good movies for you guys. So I think we both deserve a pat on the back for finding some good stories right out of the <laughs> gate. Yeah, at least you found some stuff. I want to feel some virtual pats on the back as, <laughs> as, as time goes on. So uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. So right up, right out of the gate, we got a Netflix trailer for a new documentary about 80s toys called The Toys That Made Us. And I've been keeping track of this. They've showed a teaser before and the teaser looked a little jank, but this one, this one looks good. Uh, I just, the only thing I don't like is the title treatment because it's, it's made in like that, one of those websites where you can make an 80s like logo. It looks exactly like that. It, it does not look very good, but the trailer was pretty decent. Yeah, uh, it looks pretty interesting. I never followed this. I didn't even know it was a thing, but it looks like they're going to a lot of cool franchises since like the 80s toys were so that were so big. It's like it looks like G.I. Joe, Barbie. It looks like some Star Wars in there. A lot of cool He-Man. Yeah. A lot of a lot of interesting things. And when I was a kid, I always had a bunch of action figures. So I'm actually pretty excited to see. I, I assume it's like a start of the industry type deal. What made it grow and all that. So I think this will be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a TV show. It's like how Netflix, instead of doing just regular old documentaries, they've been doing documentary series, which are mm-hmm. all really cool. Like the confession tapes and shot in the dark. There's a bunch of really cool ones. So this is like joining their pantheon. I just really wish that the like... Uh, the branding on it is just so I don't it's like rushed like this is it's got the you know the classic purple background with the graph paper thing moving forward and all that stuff it just it just looks like they went they didn't really go the extra mile on making it feel authentic I don't think yeah like it's almost too like stereotypical to, yeah, it's like on the nose yeah yeah exactly yeah if they put a little more time into that I think it probably would have just approved the improved overall like aesthetic but yeah it seems like they did their homework with people who they got on the show, and hopefully people know their stuff. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't really care less about Barbie. There's probably going to be a little My Little Pony episode, but I'll definitely... I think it'll be cool if the episodes are grouped by the toy, because I'll definitely just watch the like Masters of the Universe one and the G.I. Joe one and the Star Wars one. Then whoever wants to watch can just pick and choose you know, which toy series I think is interesting. Yeah, the G.I. Joe toys look like Halo. That's kind of funny. I didn't. Ha- yeah. I didn't really get into GI Joe when I was a kid. I like had them because my grandma would buy them for us. But I was like, these are cool, I guess. And then I would forget about them. One year for Christmas, I got like a GI Joe tank that was like, mm, like the whole thing. It was like fairly big. It was like it had. A, it was big enough to have like two GI Joes sit in the gunner seat, like behind the big like like cannon. big GI Joes or like yeah, like the twelve inch ones. Oh Jesus, that's a big tank. Yeah, so it was like, like were they full- next to each other? Yeah, like, like sit next car? to each other in the tank, like Holy like a. Crap. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, I remember that was like my big gift one year when I was a kid, and I fucking love that thing. I wonder what that cost. Oh, that must have been at least a hundred dollars. Oh man, I never got, I never asked for like big toys. I would ask for big Legos, and then my parents would be like, "Well, this is like extremely expensive because Legos are really expensive." So right. it'd be like my Christmas gift, and then they'd be like, "That's part of your birthday gift too." But then by the time my birthday rolled around in March, they'd forgotten it, and then I would just get another <laughs> Lego. So I was like, I was always into Legos. So uh, next up on the list, we have a new trailer for a new movie from Peter Jackson, and it's called Mortal Engines. Did they play the trailer for this before Star Wars for you? No. So I saw this before Star Wars, and I was like, "This looks dope. This has got to be a book." Oh, it is. A, it is a book. It's a book series by Philip Reeve, and. This, this movie is basically like entire cities are put onto vehicles. So like mm-hmm. the trailer is pretty cool. It's well directed. It evokes Mad Max, obviously. And uh, there's a small city truck being chased through the desert by, I guess, the city of London on top mm-hmm. of a, another truck. And uh, the big truck eats the littler truck. <laughs> yeah, it looks uh, pretty... I guess the word is like whimsical or something. Like it's it's pretty strange. I haven't seen a movie like this 
probably since like Mad Max, you know, it's like the big car chase scenes that I'm sure they're going to have, you know, huge like action set pieces and all that. But it looks like the there's like some cool like javelin weapons that allow like the bigger ships to hook onto them or so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they try to differentiate from Mad Max, but still kind of keep the action in like a cool, interesting way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of want to read the book. But um, I'm going to read the synopsis that I didn't see in this article because Big Truck Eat Little Truck doesn't sound very interesting. (laughs) So thousands of years after civilization was destroyed by a cataclysmic event, snooze, humankind has adapted and a new way of living has evolved. Giant moving cities now roam the earth, ruthlessly preying upon smaller traction towns. Why do they use so many weird alliteration words? Tom Natsworthy, played by Robert Sheehan, who hails from a lower tier of the great traction city of London, finds himself fighting for his own survival after he encounters the dangerous fugitive Hester Shaw, played by Hera Hilmar. Two opposite sides whose paths should never have crossed forge an unlikely alliance that is destined to change the course of the future. Dude, this is just Mad Max Fury Road. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. What the fuck? I gotta read this book. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see it. I think it'll probably be pretty good. What was the last movie Peter Jackson even did? The Hobbit. Three. Did he do those, or was the he Hobbit just like a producer returns. on them? No, he did them. Oh, all right. This is really cool news we got next. Uh, so, Ghost Recon Wildlands, a game which I bought for $60 and never opened. Uh, they just <laughs> added DLC where you can hunt the Predator. Yeah, I saw that. I, isn't this like a limited time thing, or is it... I think it is limited time. I watched the trailer. It looked limited by, yeah, the, by but... the trailer. Yeah, but... Basically, they add a mission where you can go hunt the predator in the jungles, and that is insane that they would add that. Somehow they got the rights to use the predator in the Ghost Recon <laughs> game. So, you can unlock new customization items, and customization is spelled wrong, from the Predator movie as Predator <laughs> Gears and other iconic characters. That's not... I need to reread this sentence. Unlock new customization items from the Predator movie as Predator Gears and other iconic characters. I don't know what that means. But I think it's missing a word or two in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, play as the Predator with new PvP classes in Ghost War. That sounds cool. I mean, I've, I've been watching trailers on the PvP mode that just came out for this game, and it looks pretty awesome. It's basically Battlegrounds. Oh, yeah, I did see they're adding like a Battle Royale mode to this game. Yeah, so and that's, I, that's a popular thing to do now. I did read an article also... Um, about this pun, uh, predator fight and they said that they nailed the predator but it's like he's really strong so it, it plays kind of like a destiny strike where you kind of have to figure out the like core loop of the boss and then you just wait where he's going to pop up and then blast him and like chink down his health uh-huh. for like an hour so i don't know it's really cool though if you're still into the game which i'm sure a lot of people are after this pvp update you can download that pack i think for free yeah looks seems pretty interesting yeah, so now we got some news that's a little contentious. So ever since Poe Dameron has been played by Oscar Isaacs, people have been saying he should voice Gomez in an Adams Family movie, or be Gomez. Now it turns out that that's coming true, but he's voicing him and it's an animated movie. And I, I don't know, I, like, why would you even use him if you're going to make an animated movie? He looks like fucking Gomez. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a weird choice. I mean, if you're going to do a half step like this, why not? I guess they don't want to make a full new live-action Adam Stanley movie. It's probably not enough uh, people who want to see it, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's cool that he's, you know, the fans got to choose who they <laughs> the best Gomez. Like, there's so many Adam Stanley fans, I guess. But it's just I love of, the Adam's Family. Yeah, I liked the, the old live-action movies with, uh, what was her name, Christina Ricci. Yeah. Those are sweet, yeah. and like I don't know, this could be cool because the lady who wrote *Corpse Bride*, Pamela Petler, is writing this, so that's sweet. She's awesome, and uh, it's directed by Conrad Vernon, who directed *Sausage Party*. And like *Sausage Part*, *Sausage Party* was funny, but it was a movie I wanted to see once, and then like I was I was done. I was like, okay, that was fun. I'm never gonna watch that again. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that one. And the animation wasn't that good in it, so I don't know this. This seems like you're wasting... I saw a tweet that was like, why the hell are they using him in an animated movie? They're wasting, like, his whole ass face. (laughs) I feel like that sums it up perfectly. Maybe they'll just, like, mocap his whole body and just paste his face over the animated character's face. Yeah, but you know... He'll just be the only, like, live person on an animated body. 
I I think I got the perfect person to play Cousin It, though. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Well, he just got uh, snubbed for the Detective Pikachu role, so... <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't... Th- Did you see that they caught up with him on that, and then he was like, I don't know what Pikachu or Pokemon is? It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah, and then, okay, so we'll move on really quick to Dying Light. Uh, this is a game that has had a bizarre history. So, like, if you never heard of Dying Light, it came out, I think, in 2014. Uh, it's basically if you took uh, Data Island and mixed it with Mirror's Edge, and I really liked it. It's the only RPG ever where I was, like, doing every side quest to not beat the game, and then I ran out of side quests and had to beat the game. Like, I did everything, and it was it didn't get boring for me at all. And huh. uh, people really like this game. And so they've been. They promised that they would continue support for it all the way through like 2015 and 2016, and they did a whole expansion called The Following that's really cool. And then they announced that they're going to continue to support it through 2017. And so now in 2018, they're going to release a mode called Bad Blood that's battlegrounds mixed with uh, PVE style gameplay, obviously because of the zombies. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I just, I just, I don't how know. Many, how if many it can needs... you really play though? Yeah, I don't know if it really needs a battle royale mode. I think it's just trying to hop on the, the big, uh, PUBG bandwagon. Just try to get get a few people to to check it out. But I mean, if it's done well and people like it, then obviously there's no issue. It just seems like an odd choice for that game. Yeah, and you know, these things live or die by their player bases, and. While, like, PUBG and, I guess, Fortnite Battle Royale, those are multiplayer games built to be multiplayer games. When you tack on a mode, it's never going to get the same amount of support or, like, players that a dedicated multiplayer game will get. You know, like, it just seems kind of like a frivolous thing that's kind of a waste of time and money. Like, it it does sound fun, but, like, who's going to play, who's going to buy Dying Light in 2018? (laughs) Now. To play a battle royale mode where you can just get like one of five other games that are doing it probably better. So now the big news, the hugest story around. Disney officially owns Fox and in turn Alien and Predator. So how do you feel about this one? It always kind of scares me when one company owns like I think <laughs> I think it was like 40% of entertainment now or something. Yeah. Because after this merger or acquisition i guess it's just i don't think it's ever good when one company owns so much i agree i so for one thing i see people saying oh great now they're gonna disney up uh alien and predator disney doesn't give a shit about alien and predator i'll tell you that right now like (laughs) they yes for horror movies they make a lot of money right like we can safely say that both alien and predator for the most part make a lot of money they don't make disney money you know like they just they don't and in no reality possibly will they ever will like i don't think disney has a problem making r-rated movies at all but because they're obviously buying a lot of r-rated properties and they already Mm -hmm. said that they'll keep deadpool rated r i just don't think they'll ever put nearly as much money into a alien movie or a predator movie as they would like like a spin-off star wars movie even or a marvel movie you know yeah, I think for sure we shouldn't expect a new Alien or Predator movie or Alien vs. Predator movie for a long time. Yeah, because Alien Covenant did not make a, a lot of money at all. And I know Ridley Scott wants to finish out that trilogy. Dude's 80 years old. Like, they might just let him do it, you know? Uh, yeah, at least get one more movie out of him if he wants to do it. And he's you know still still a visionary even if he's had a couple missteps. But who knows? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just not really expecting anything to come out of this i think this is just one of the things on the list and i think disney's probably just gonna ignore it for the most part yeah like also um this article says like it'll be weird to see the disney logo before the predator by shane black that comes out next (laughs) august they're not they're not gonna get rid of the 20th century fox logo like right like it's it's like lucasfilm you know you don't see the disney castle before star wars movies you know like, yeah, people people are really blowing it like out of proportion. Like everything's going to be like totally Disney now. Like just because they own it doesn't mean they're going to completely sacrifice what make if a series does well and it's R-rated, they're not going to change that cuz what the way it does now, it makes money. 
and they want to make the most money. So they're not going to completely change it and alienate the fan base like that. Uh, so next up, Dead by Daylight, one of two slasher games. It got a Christmas update, which I think is actually kind of fun. <laughs> so yeah, it's like kind it's- of a big update. Yeah, it adds quite a bit. I was looking at the uh, the patch notes, and it's more than I expected, actually. It's like six more bullet points than I thought there would be. <laughs> <laughs> so they're adding uh, three new achievements. Uh, I don't care about that. They're adding a winter skin for the mystery boxes in the blood web. So if anyone could decipher that for us, let us know. <laughs> We're f- they said they're feeling generous this season. The winter mystery boxes will appear at every level of the blood web and will contain new rewards. The regular mystery box reward with higher rarity tier weighting. Multiple versions of the mystery boxes will have cheaper blood points costs. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so, I know what that means, of course. No fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> this game's obviously changed a lot since it came out. So they added a new winter-themed head customization for all original killers. So that means, like, not Michael Myers, not Leatherface, and not Freddy. Which, like, you know, that you, you can't discount it for that. Like, there's no way they right. were ever going to be able to put a Santa hat on Michael Myers, as amazing as that would be. Can you imagine <laughs> Leatherface running around? With a Santa hat. With like a like, fake beard on, like a big white beard. Like he's like the <laughs> <laughs> big candy like, cane chainsaw. They can do it with Freddy if they give him like a dopey like Christmas sweater and Santa hat. I feel like that's on brand for Freddy. Yeah, I feel like that's the only one it would really work for. <laughs> but they they had to go with the fucking like remake Freddy that looks like yeah. This- melted cheese face yeah melted cheese face so then they also added a new winter theme winter theme skin for the hooks barrels and lockers and all levels that's kind of funny that probably just means there's like snow on them yeah uh, they they added a new winter variation of the chinese firecracker item uh cool and they added menu and lobby music for the winter season i like that music is the one thing that like guaranteed gets me in the mood you know like yeah. That's a big reason why Dead Rising 4 works. They play Christmas music on the pause menu. Yeah, and then, it, it definitely gets you in the mood <laughs> and it sets the right ambiance for yeah. you know, playing like a Christmas-themed It's kind game. of fun. Yeah, I think it's cool. I, I like that. That's probably uh, the best best thing they added because I have no idea what these blood mystery I, boxes dude, are and stuff. So <laughs> Beyond me. So they also finally added various winter accessories, snow piles, lanterns, snowmen, and blinking lights, and falling snow to the main menu and lobbies. Could, could you put them in the map? No. <laughs> like in the game? No? Okay. No. George says no. Vetoed. Uh, and first comment from Chris Hall. And already one of the trophies is broken. So it looks <laughs> like this winter update is already off to a great start. You can download Dead by Daylight on Steam and your Xbox and your PlayStation. But it m- looks like you might want to wait a little bit. Uh, yeah, even make sure all the Christmas bugs are worked out. In a week, so <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. It's free, so like can't really complain. Yeah. you know, there's yeah, free bugs and some free that. stuff. So okay, so moving on. Uh, this is really cool, actually. So a couple weeks ago, around Halloween, so about a month ago, George and I talked about the John Carpenter concert that he went on tour for, and uh, we talked about how cool the T-shirts were. And now that the tour is closing up, you can actually buy a lot of the merch that was on sale during the tour online, and it's pretty reasonable. Like, t-shirts are 26 bucks, hoodies are $50. Uh, they have uh, hats, beanies, coffee mugs, eye patches, albums, pins, sunglasses, tote bags, everything you can think of, stickers. And it's all pretty reasonable. Yeah, it's all, like, roughly the same price it was at the actual... Uh, tour yeah. I got the merch table and they're really really cool design shirts and so I think any uh, John Carpenter fan should definitely check these out because you'll probably find one or two shirts that you're really going to want yep so that's going to wrap up segment one but before we move on we're going to talk about terror threads really quick for our creature feature now terror threads they're kind of like the up-and-comer out of the big uh, horror t-shirt businesses so like with uh, fright rags and cavity colors they're right alongside those dudes and they started out doing a lot of original designs, which I liked. But now they've been doing, uh, they've been partnering with movies, which is pretty cool. And recently they partnered with uh, Twisted Twins, and they partnered with uh, The House's October Built Two, which we loved. <laughs> and uh, they did a Puppet Master run that I really like. I really like the Puppet Master one. 
I was hoping that it wouldn't end with uh, The House is October Built 2 because yeah, did not like that movie. <laughs> but they did some uh, really cool stuff. Have you ever seen Puppet Master, George? No, I haven't. What? They are <laughs> amazing. I, I saw them all on a sci-fi. They all get worse and worse as time goes on. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's like the these little puppets. They're like totally practical and they murder people. I feel like I've heard of it, but I never, I've never seen any of them for myself. It's another thing like Chucky, where I think one guy has worked on all of them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Terror Threads is kind of like they don't, you know, they're they're they have Halloween and they have Friday the Thirteenth. I've seen all that on their thing, but they've been they've been in these weird obscure movies, which is pretty cool. So I would yeah. look them up. It's always nice to see a new uh, new player in the the horror merchandise market. Yeah, it's, I'm glad it's up and booming. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with segment two. All right, guys, we're back from our quick break. And just to preface this segment, uh, we try every week to find at least one good movie, and we failed this week. Uh, we're bringing two movies to you, Once Upon a Time at Christmas and Desolation. Uh, Once Upon a Time at Christmas is put out by our friends over at Raven Banner, and Desolation is a new film from IFC Midnight, and unfortunately, we were not fans of either of them. Yeah, I, I always try to find at least one one or two good things I like about a movie. These, these both were, were pretty pretty bad, though. Yeah, so we'll start out with Once Upon a Time at Christmas. Uh, it's directed by Paul Tanter, and it stars a lot of people, actually. There's a lot of revolving characters in this, which is one of its downfalls. So Simon Phillips plays Santa Claus. Sela de Gode plays Mrs. Claus. Brooke Fletcher plays Lucy, who's the mother of the main character. Jennifer, who's played by Laurel Brady. And Jeff Ellenberger plays Deputy Sam. Once Upon a Time at Christmas fails very hard in the script department. The script is not good. Yeah, plot and dialogue are pretty laughable most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, which is fine because it's trying to be a comedy, but it's also trying to be like a mystery and police procedural and like three other genres mixed together. So basically what the plot is, is 12 days before Christmas, uh, a bunch of murders start happening in this town in upstate New York that's definitely not Canada. Definitely not. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, the murders are being committed by J- the Joker and Harley Quinn Christmas edition. <laughs> and the, the the inspiration, I'm using air quotes, is so on the nose that it's not even funny. Like, they, they met in a mental hospital. Down to that. And the Santa Claus looks pretty cool. He has, like, one cloudy eye, which I think looks great makeup-wise. But the Mrs. Claus, man. <laughs> they wanted her to be Harley Quinn, but... The script, as we mentioned, is not good. So uh, they they have trouble coming up with lines for her to say. But instead of just having her be silent, there are extended scenes of her just laughing. And yeah. it's very awkward. Did you notice yeah. this? This is the one of the only time we haven't talked about the movie beforehand. Yeah, I did notice it. And the laugh <laughs> is not good. It no, is like... It's so bad. It's not intimidating in any way. It's just annoying. And it's weird to see characters react to her presence in the movie because no one ever seems like afraid of her they just seem like annoyed with her just like i was watching the movie okay there's one kill in a school bathroom did you notice Mm -hmm. anything weird about that kill yeah yeah pretty strange uh, someone getting shot in the heart and then dying with a smile on their face (laughs) uh so this that was like it started out as my favorite scene in the movie this, they hear their friend, these girls, these teenage girls hear their friend crying in the bathroom or so they think. And one of them looks under the stall and it turns out that Mrs. Claus is behind the stall door and she shoots the girl in the eye with a crossbow. And the girl comes out and it's one of the only effects in the movie that looks good. And I was like, that's, that's cool. Like I will get, I was, I was already <laughs> off board at that point, but that kind of got me back on track. Then Mrs. Claus jumps out and shoots one of the other teenagers directly like direct shot in the heart it's all digital it looks terrible the girl falls back with the biggest fucking <laughs> shit-eating grin on her face and slides down the wall and dies smiling 
ask for another goddamn take. You did the <laughs> effects digitally. Like, it's not like you have to redo any makeup or anything. Right. Like, come on. So basically, getting back to the plot, Mr. and Mrs. Claus are ramping up their murders in a very predictable mystery, like, in a, in a way, leading up to Christmas. And the main character, Jennifer, is played by Laurel Brady. The whole gang of teenagers, there's, like, Jennifer, and she has a couple friends, like, two or three girlfriends, and then they all have, like, a boyfriend. And all of them really don't deliver their lines very well. No. Everything and to be sounds fair, like, the script yeah. is not good. We, we have to, to keep be, mentioning this. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot to work with there, but the delivery is pretty off and it kind of takes you out of the movie i don't know if they were intentionally going for you know trying to make it like very campy and that's and they wanted like monotone readings of the lines or what do you you think that like i don't think so i just yeah you don't think so no (laughs) like i'm sorry it's just they're not even trying half the time the one friend though the redhead she's trying she does a really good job yeah, she's not bad. Like, she delivers the lines, and they're still not believable, but she's trying. And yeah. she does a great job. Like, she's she's pretty good. And this movie just doesn't understand uh, tension in any way. There's never any tension at all. There is there is one really cool kill, though, where it's two teens who are having sex in a car, and the car gets lit on fire. The effect of the car burning them alive, surprisingly good. Yeah, that's Like, not good. even for this movie, just in general. It's pretty good looking. Yeah. Did you notice that, mostly in the scenes with uh, Mrs. Claus, that when she would swing her bat at people, it would be, like, extremely... Like, you could tell that she was holding back and not actually hitting them. Yeah, definitely. And they would just add the sound effect of, like, a wooden bat. Because every time she swung it, it looks like she's holding back completely. Like, it doesn't look real at all. Yeah, and... I don't know. The, the Santa Claus guy, he was pretty good. Like, I liked his weird British accent. And he, I didn't. He mind definitely, him. out of all the people in the movie, embraces the character. And yeah, I he guess, plays the Joker really well. Yeah, and he, he, he puts a lot of effort into it. He fully, you know, commits to the role and doesn't really yeah. falter. He's always, he's one note, but he's always consistently that note, at least. And. I think the reason this movie upsets me so much is I've talked about this before, but it's like, it just feels like they weren't trying. And then I look on IMDb and I don't like, I don't know if this is correct because it seems like a lot, but I guess this movie had a a million dollar budget and I don't know what they spent it on, but it did not go to good use if that's how much they had. And it's put out by Lionsgate, which makes me think this, this feels like one of those movies that ends up uh, you see in the red box and then you just rent on a whim. Yeah, it's, I mean, to be fair, it's really expensive to make a movie, and they had multiple sets, they had, like, a couple houses, they had the police department, the school, and all that's expensive, and, you know, it was a fairly large cast. I think if they would have pulled back on how many characters there were in the movie, and the sets, and just kind of focused, been been more focused with it, and maybe tightened up the writing a little bit, it could have been pretty good, because the, the overall plot idea of the the killings is interesting, yeah, I think it would have worked pretty well if they tightened up the script and rewrote it a couple times. <laughs> like, just not not even rewriting it, just giving it revisions, because it just felt like a first draft. Pretty pretty strange. And nothing ever really... It's never scary. It's never really funny. It's just kind of there most of the time. It's a weird, a weird watch. Yeah, and... I don't know, man. Like, I just... We're, I'm trying really hard... To define like things to uh, that I like, and I am finding some things, but I am trying very hard. <laughs> so I I don't know I I find it very hard to recommend this one. Like even yeah. even like with friends, I feel like it's kind of tough. I think like you have so many better options. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a movie like this, where it's kind of a more like raunchy or violent like horror Christmas movie. I think Santa's Sleigh is probably where you should look. Santa's Sleigh, Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like, that's that's three really good ones. Yeah, so Desolation is directed by Sam Patton, and it's the story of uh, 
couple people. It's a mom, her son, and her best friend. They all go camping in these woods. Uh, the the mom recently lost her husband from some kind of disease. He was sick and he died. And she has a lot of there's a lot of tension between her and her son Sam. Basically, they end up being stalked by a killer in the woods who starts. At first, he's just kind of harmlessly watching them from a, like across the lake. But the, the longer they stay in the woods, the, the more he kind of uh, co- comes after them and stalks them. And this movie also doesn't really work in any of the themes that it's trying to present. It's trying to be like Halloween. Like, yeah, there's it definitely really a few wants scenes. to be like Halloween, where Michael Myers is so scary. You know, they want this hiker to be scary. And I will admit that, like, if I was in the woods and... Like, just think about it. If, cause, all right, here. We'll, we'll set a real example. So where the place where we recorded the first episode, there's a trail nearby that we walk a lot. And imagine if just someone was trailing us, not even doing anything, not responding to us. Just if we would stop, they would stop. And if we would go, they'd stay about 20 feet behind. That's I mean, I wouldn't really like that. creepy, right? Yeah, that'd be really scary. <laughs> so in the beginning of the movie, that when that's happening, it is pretty creepy. But not because the movie is creepy. It's because you're thinking about what if this happened. Like, the movie right. doesn't frame it in a really good way at all. It's just like, this. the dude is always so small in the frame that you're like, oh, that guy's like three miles away. Like, the kid sees him across the lake, and he's like, hey. The guy doesn't answer. And it's like, what is this guy just like an asshole? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm... I'm fine with the killer being, like, a mysterious character. You yeah, don't really totally. need to know the backstory, but... I don't know. I didn't. I had like no idea anything about him, and I had a hard time, really, because he does a few things that, like, maybe you think he's like, you know, maybe he only kills like women or something, and he wears these sunglasses all the time. So you're like, maybe his eyes are sensitive to light or like all the time or something, and so there's like a couple weird details with this character. That they never explain. I don't. Does he even speak in the movie? I don't. No, think he, he never has a single speaks. line of dialogue. Yeah. The creepiest thing he did, in my opinion, is when he he pulls a girl's tooth out with uh, pliers, and yeah. you see it, and it's like, eh, like, <laughs> oh, I don't like that. I was like, oh, that's cringy. I don't like that. Ugh. So like the dynamic between Sam and Abby, or no, Abby and Jen, who's like Abby's the mom, Jen's her friend who's hiking with them. Uh, that dynamic should be really good. Because they're like best friends and, uh, you know, Jen's helping her grieve. But it's not good. And, like, they don't even feel like they're friends. They feel like they just met. Yeah, it, it feels kind of weird. They feel like they're almost, like, they're, what, they're supposed to be, like, friends from college. But they seem like they're yes. pretty different, like, in age and, like, maturity. Yeah. Like, one of them is a mom, which I guess, you know, that makes you kind of grow up quicker than if you don't have a child. But Fair, it, fair. But the dynamic is just really different between them. And the scenes that we do see them together, uh, they're fine. But I don't... They're not, like, super believable in any way. Yeah, like... And then when things really kick off, it's just it doesn't ramp up in any way at all. It's just like, oh, this is what's happening. But it is cool. The kid, uh, Toby Nichols, he's pretty good. Like, he carries a lot of the movie for me. And he's not working with a great script again, but he does a pretty good job. I didn't hate him. Yeah, you can tell he's putting a lot of effort into his scenes and he's really trying. And it comes through. He's pretty good. I mean, he's still a young actor and, you know, kid actors aren't always the best. They still, you know, have some time to learn and refine their their skills. But he, he is pretty good. He's definitely not the weakest part of the movie. And all the scenes that kind of center around him are, you know, like you do, you kind of feel for him, like... Yeah. At one point, he's, like, confronting his mom about how she wouldn't talk to him about their dad, you know, getting sick or anything. Yeah, and she says like, that her, calling her, her mom out. Tell, didn't even tell him he was sick. Like, Yeah. Come I mean, on, it like, seems like that. that young. Right. I mean, you look at him, and you're like, you know what? Like, that is, like I am agreeing with this kid. Like, I think he is right in this situation. He does sell those scenes. and Yeah, I totally agree that the guy is not really a threat, and I don't want to spoil it, but it is just so goofy when you see it. It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like the tools they have at their disposal are extremely basic, 
and they're able to still defeat this guy who's supposedly, I guess, living in the woods. You'd think he'd be pretty tough. Yeah. He'd have some weapons with them or something. But Yeah, and there's just another thing I didn't like is that they try to do this weird symbolism stuff where you see items at the beginning of the movie and then they just come up at the end of the movie and it's not symbolic in any way. It's just like, oh, there's that thing you picked up. And this movie has like a part about geocaching that is so forced that it feels like it's like an ad for geocaching. It's, it feels like a, it feels like a YouTube video that's sponsored. It's like, yeah. oh, geocaching. You don't know what that is? Well, a geocache <laughs> is a box out in the woods where you find a thing in it that someone left for you, and then you leave something for them. Isn't that awesome? And they like all but look at the camera when they say it. It's like, oh, okay. Like I didn't know geocaching was like hurting so bad that you need to advertise it in a movie like and i thought that was strange that they never came back to that no like it's like that's the one thing that could have symbolism like she could put the tooth in there or something at the end like right like put his glasses in there or something yeah like... oh my god how cool would that be and she like put this dude's like a clump of his hair and like the glasses <laughs> in. oh my god that would be awesome and then the if the dude lives out there and people are walking this trail and, like, finding this geocache that's full of shit. Like, you'd think you would take out all the useful items. Yeah, it's weird. I guess he doesn't know about geocaching. He needs the YouTube ad to tell him about it. Oh, and then finally, there's only one kill in this movie. And when they encounter the aftermath of it, <laughs> it looks awful. Like, Halloween City level, <laughs> like, effects. It's just, it's terrible. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, and it's it's just weird that we never actually see him kill anyone. I don't know if that's budget restrictions or what, but <laughs> we just see, like, yep, he did that, I guess. <laughs> cool. Yeah, they, they show him pull out a girl's tooth. Like, yeah. You know, they figured that out. Like, I, and but, we, we definitely weren't connected enough to the character who dies to warrant killing her off screen. Like, it wouldn't have been that hard. <laughs> right. Like, by that point, I kind of didn't like her. Yeah. <laughs> Really, really kind of a weird, weird choice. Yeah, I think but, you the, know, the poster is really good. Yeah. Do you see the poster? It's hand-drawn. Yeah. It looks great. It does look really cool. And, I mean, the hiker looks intimidating, you know, like from the poster, like when you see him like in the in the actual movie. But yeah. once you realize that he's just kind of a bitch, it's like, well, who cares? Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> And so I will admit that on the on Sweet Virginia, remember that movie? Like, yeah. a lot of our issues too with it probably could have been written up to us not watching like art house like slow burn movies like that a lot. Yeah. But I just feel like on this one, I feel like I feel like we're right that it's just not a good movie. Like I'm pretty confident that it's not good. Yeah. After especially after watching uh, Primal Rage last week. Yeah, that's a movie that gets a slasher in the woods right. Right, so this is like same same basic concept, slasher in the woods, but where that movie succeeded in keeping it interesting, having really good effects, having characters that you care about, this movie fails in all of those aspects. Yeah. And it makes I, the, I the actual killer very uninteresting. Yeah, so uh, that is Desolation, directed by Sam Patton. So that's going to wrap up segment two for us. And we're going to be right back with segment three. Okay, so we're back with segment three. And if, in case you didn't know, Star Wars The Last Jedi is out this past weekend. So... Uh, for my YouTube channel, I thought it'd be fun if I found all of the different times that Star Wars delved into the world of horror. And I, I don't want to say I was surprised, because I'm really not, but it really is rare. It's really rare. And But I've kept up with the EU before they killed it, and even then, it was rare. But uh, I didn't really realize how rare it was, but I was able to find a few examples. So, uh, George, you've experienced some of these at least, right? Yeah, I've read Death Troopers. Yeah, let's start with that. So Death Troopers is a book that came out in 2009. It's written by Joe Schreiber. And uh, I I don't know. I think you told me about this one. It was like a book I had somehow never heard of. Yeah, I actually... I think you I read was, it. You read it when it came out. Yeah, I was flying somewhere. 
I forget where, but I Dude, bought it. Dude, it was like... when you went and saw 30 Seconds to Mars at Universal Studios. Oh, yeah. It was when I was flying down to Florida. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> That's yeah. bizarre. I was flying so down, down to Florida, <laughs> and I saw it in like the bookstore at the airport. And I was like, huh, looks kind of cool. Because the cover is like a stormtrooper's helmet with like a hook through the eye and like blood dripping off the hook. <laughs> and I was like, this... I was like, this book looks sweet. And so I read it, like, cover to cover on the plane ride down to Florida. And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> this book is sweet. Yeah, so uh, I, I can explain the plot really quick. So it's there's a there's an imperial prison barge called The Purge. And it's in the outer rim in an uninhabited part of space. And uh, it breaks down. But as luck would have it, they happen upon um, a Star Destroyer that's just completely abandoned and derelict. And they acknowledge that it is bizarre for a Star Destroyer to be abandoned. Like, right. a derelict one, it, that, that's not, that's weird, you know? Because it's like the Empire, it's the the government of space. And this yeah. takes place before Episode 4, so it's like, they're at their peak. But, like, an abandoned one is bizarre. So, they, they go on to the ship to, like, steal some parts to fix the um, prison barge. And they end up bringing back a virus that kills every single person in the prison barge, except for six people, and turns the rest into zombies. And uh, it's it's pretty good. I, I read it. I read it at Staples when I was working there in college on my iPhone five. I kept it next uh-huh. to the register, and it still creeped me out. Like books, books do creep me out a lot more than movies. And this one did. A, there were some pretty uh, tense parts in it. Yeah, there's some really. They do some really interesting things with the zombie virus because it is it is actually like a zombie virus. It brings you know all these stormtroopers like back from the dead, and they but they're they have like some intelligence still. Like there's a couple parts in the book where they do things that you wouldn't expect like a normal zombie to do, and there's uh, some cool cameos from from some pretty big characters in the in the Star Wars series that w- once I I remember reading that and being like this just kick this book up like a whole notch like when i saw these characters are in it i thought that was so cool yeah and i know a lot of people it's it's two main characters we won't spoil who but like a lot of people said that that's cringy and like uh you know kind of just jumps the shark a little bit but they smartly introduced those characters pretty late in the book and by that point a lot of the main characters are dead yeah so it's basically like a lot of characters die and you're like, how are they going to finish this book with this few people? And then they have to add on two more that you know will make it. So it's kind of like the book is so tense by the point that they add these main characters that you're like, oh, okay, cool. I can like, yeah. it's like an anchor. They're like an right. anchor for your you're fear. Like, you're like, they're actually going to need these characters to like get out of this situation alive. Yeah, because at that point you're like, oh, these everyone's going to die. Like th- these people are <laughs> fucked. Like these aren't named characters. These are just yeah, like exactly. original characters. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. These guys are going to wind up in the footnote of an encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, they'll be on Wikipedia, my favorite <laughs> website, my homepage since uh, I was like, what, 10 or 11. But um, so that book's pretty good and it's cheap as fuck. Now it's like three bucks. You can get the book yeah, for three that's, bucks like anywhere. That's definitely worth a, worth a purchase. Yeah. So here's, here's a weird one. So instead of following this up with a sequel, which I think would have been really cool and smart... They did a prequel called Red Harvest that kind of explained where the zombie virus came from. And it is batshit. It is nuts. It's about like a Sith Lord called Darth Scarbus wants to live forever. He wants to become immortal. So he steals this thing. He 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 like gets a Jedi to steal this thing called the Murakami Orchid for him. And he wants to become immortal. And he thinks that, like, he can infect himself with the zombie virus, but use the force to stop the decay. So Mm -hmm. he, like, intentionally gives it to a Jedi, and the Jedi is not strong enough in the force to stop this virus from killing him. So the virus spreads. And uh, it has a lot of, like, Mayan themes, ancient Mayan themes. It's an Old Republic set book. It's fine. Like, it's, it's nothing great. It's super pulpy. Hmm. Yeah, it might be something to check out if you're really looking for more of that that writer's work, but probably not. Yes, yeah, probably just writer. read Death Troopers instead. I, the, I'd recommend if you get it, you can get the hardcover for like six bucks, and the hardcover cover is really cool. It's Darth Scarbus with like a zombie face, and he's like blood dripping out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. So like that's a cool coffee table piece. Right. 
And if you really like Death Troopers, it is a good follow-up. It's just not as good as Death Troopers. Back when like Goosebumps was crazy in 97 and 98, they released uh, 12 books. It only made it 12 books. They were all connected. And it was just basically Star Wars Goosebumps. And they got pretty dark. Like they dealt with clones and ghosts of like Jedi and murder and all this crazy shit. And they, they're like pretty bad. Because they're just they ripping like, off of Goosebumps, but they're Star Wars Goosebumps. So they're like kid short stories, like horror-based, though? They, yeah, they're like literally Goosebumps. Like so, they, they even like steal plot lines and stuff. That's actually kind of cool. I'd, I'd like to look back on those. I'm sure they're like <laughs> not great to read as an adult. The covers but... are awesome. They're really, really cool covers. Like, yeah. The covers are great, at least. And they, they look really good on a shelf. Uh, remember when Star Wars books used to have the kind of like punched out star wars logo yeah yeah like the embossed logo on the side and on the front and everything yeah they have that but it's like a really cool custom one it's like star wars and then the galaxy of fear has its own like sick font that's also embossed like that uh-huh. and it's all original art on the covers like they, they kind of feel like collector's pieces but the, my favorite one is called army of terror and it's like they have to stop the empire from making like a clone army of monsters that sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, there's like this cool bug man who looks like uh, if the Martians from Mars Attacks were cool, basically. Huh, nice. So those are really cheap, too. They're easy to find. Um, might be worth it. You could blow through them all in like a week, probably. It's pretty easy. Right. I mean, they are children's books, so hopefully you can read <laughs> yeah. them in a week. <laughs> so then, finally on here, I'm going to bring it into the Star Wars comics. And so the first crossover between star wars and the darth vader comic not very good it was called vader down but Mm -hmm. uh recently there's a crossover between the star wars mainline comic which takes place between four and five and uh they crossed over with dr afra and she's like an all-new character that came out of the darth vader comic and she's like a fan favorite uh she's awesome her comic is basically like if indiana jones was a little more bad in space Hmm. and uh, sounds pretty interesting yeah, so there's this really cool crossover event they did called um, The Screaming Citadel that's a gothic horror Star Wars story inspired by Dracula. So basically, Afra finds this, I think it's a holocron, I'm not sure. It's like an old holocron that has the consciousness of an ancient Force user in it, and she needs it unlocked for some reason or another. So she finds Luke and she's like, Hey, you got to come to this place with me and help me unlock this thing because you're going to want to know what's in here too, obviously. Cause he's like, Luke's trying to figure out more about the Jedi. Right. So he doesn't trust her, but they go and it turns out it's like this queen lives in this castle called the screaming Citadel. And every year people from all over the galaxy bring her things that are like supposed to impress her. And then you get a reward and I don't want to spoil anything, but it basically turns out that Afra's tribute is Luke because mm-hmm. like the jedi are dead so like she right. presents luke so it's something to the like queen. super rare and like cool yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's awesome and there's like a really cool scene where it's like they all have to dress up in like really nice outfits which is just cool in star wars for some reason when mm-hmm. you see like them going to parties and stuff it feels kind of like oceans 11 and uh the lady can control people by infecting them with the symbiote and like connecting them to her hive mind which is cool and the art's just amazing uh, it's a five issue thing also and it's pretty cheap right now on Comixology, you can get every issue for 99 cents so uh-huh. all you need for it is uh there's a there's like a standalone number one screaming citadel and you need star wars 31 and 32 and Afra seven and eight and you're good cool i'll have to check those out i've been looking uh meaning to get into some star wars comics lately oh yeah man Comixology has a very dangerous sale right now <laughs> you could get a lot of star wars comics for a little money that's going to call the end of episode 12 of Fear Frequency. Now, this is cool because uh, next week we'll have an episode the day after Christmas. So I think we'll probably rank our each pick our top five or ten horror movies of the year. So you're going to want to like listen in on that. And that's mm-hmm. going to be an in-person episode, which is awesome yeah. for us. Yeah, first one in a while. And then um, we may or may not take off the week of New Year's, but we'll still record another episode while we're at home. We're, we're kicking around the idea of... Uh, we, we came into possession of the Hell House LLC director's cut that fixes our one gripe with the movie, allegedly. So we, we've been kicking around the idea of a commentary of that. Yeah, we'll have to maybe start it and see see how it goes. If, it, yeah. if it's going good, maybe we'll finish it. If it's not, then maybe we'll scrap it. 
So if you made it to the end of the episode and you think that'd be cool, you should let us know on Twitter at Fear Frequency, at Jimmy Champagne, and at George Frizzard. Uh, as always, I really, I think we both appreciate everyone who listens here. And uh, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and reviewed the show. You don't even have to leave a review, just give a rating. Again, because it helps us get up in the new and noteworthy, which is really hard to do, but it would really help us out a lot. And also, if you could share the episode, I thought something really nice that happened last week was our friend Nolan Mackey. He not only posted on Twitter that this is his favorite podcast, but he also posted that on Instagram. And I just think that's really cool that our podcast is someone's favorite podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of surreal to think about that. Like, he already much. put us in the same, uh, like, echelon as Collider Nightmares, which is, like, pretty much one of the best pod- horror podcasts that ever happened. Like, they had right. a full, <laughs> full production crew, like, industry veterans, and, like, a full set, and just a lot of stuff that we don't have right now. Yeah. And they went away, and... To hear someone say that our show is a even viable replacement, and if like beyond that, his favorite podcast of all time, that's pretty cool. Yeah, really warms our hearts and and makes us know that what we're doing here is worth it. Yeah, so hopefully we get more listeners like Nolan Mackey, who is the man, the uh, real man. And you can follow him on guy. Twitter at Mothman Media. So uh, as we wrap up our show here, I'm gonna give us our final mantra of "You never know who might do a thing."